0: because if you have your Bibles won't you please turn to Luke chapter 15 Luke chapter 15 verse 25 Luke chapter 15 verse 25. Last week we looked at the parable of the prodigal son, but I, I didn't finish it because there's a section after that where it's about the older brother, so we're going to finish that off this morning together. Um, but just quickly to recap before we read from verse 25 of Luke chapter 15, um, the younger brother was the one of the two sons who left his father's house, uh, went off and uh, lived had a wild time And uh, after having this wild time, landed up in a pig star. He had nothing left, and he decided to come back to his father's house. And um, he's a bit nervous about doing so, but the father welcomes him with incredible love and um, affirmation and security. And uh, we pick up the story this morning um, at the point of where the father's thrown a party for this younger son. And uh, the oldest son finds out. Right, so let's read from verse 25. Now his oldest son was in the field. And he came and drew near to the house. Well, as he drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, this is the servant speaking to the older brother, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he was received back safe and sound. Whoa, trouble. But the older brother was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who devoured his property, your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And the father said to the older son, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This morning... I want us to look at this older brother and really answer three big sections with the time that we have left together. The first was how this older brother's problems arose. That was the first first thing we're going to look at. The second is, what exactly was the problem? And thirdly, what was the remedy? Now, I feel a little bit for uh, the younger son because actually, if you look at your Bibles, you'll notice, well, in the ESV anyway, it's, it says the parable of the prodigal son, which is a bit unfair because actually it's about two sons. It should be the parable of the two sons. And uh, it's just such a natural human inclination to focus in on the scandalous, not so? has this younger son, I mean, he, he blew it with prostitutes, Ooh, man, it, he gets all the, the focus. But actually... This older son had some serious problems, too, and uh, we get to find out what that is this morning. But the way we find out is important for you and I. You see, how this older brother's problem arose was very similar to the younger in that it came through a period of difficulty, a testing. And uh, I want to quickly talk about this morning two ways difficulty comes to the Christian, because this is important. The younger son's example is how temptation comes to the Christian. And temptation is different to how the older son's trouble came, which was a trial. And it's important that you know the difference because we respond differently to both. The younger son, his temptation was there was this far-off country that he saw— and uh, he was lured and enticed. He loved sex. That was his, he loved women. He loved to party. That was the stuff that really drew him. And that was a, an enticement that he gave into. That was his temptation. And temptation is a moral decision you have to make. Temptation is something that you have to choose. Am I going to choose right? Am I going to choose wrong? Am I going to choose good? Am I going to choose bad? And temptation comes at our weak spot, that's how it operates. And uh, his weak spot, as we said, was he loved women and he, he loved to have a good time, wild time. And temptation in our lives, unfortunately, church, is always going to be there. It is continuous and sometimes constant. And the way we deal with temptation, like we said last week, is you run from it with all you've got. Okay? Don't hang around. If there's somebody here this morning who has temptation waiting for you outside, or possibly sitting next to you, you gotta run for your lives because temptation, once it gives in, once we give in to temptation, it gives birth to sin. And we looked at last week how sin never pays. But we do have a promise in temptation. That God, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 13, it says that God will provide a way out. And so nobody here this morning, myself included, can say. Well, temptation just has to be given into you. I couldn't resist. No, no, no. As a Christian, God promises a way out. Our responsibility is to run and to resist, okay? But the older brother's difficulty was a bit different, and I want to say that this morning because I think some of you may relate to this. His was a trial, and a trial is something, as a Christian, you fall into. It's not a consequence of any sin, I mean, here is this guy, he's serving, right? He hasn't uh, decided to squander his in, inheritance on, on prostitutes. He's a good guy. And he's getting on with life, and suddenly he's coming back from the fields, and what does he see Well oh, here? He hears music, and he sees laughing. And uh, he falls into a moment that he didn't expect. And friends, this is what a trial is. A trial is something in your life that you fall into. It's something outside of yourself that happens. And trials are morally neutral. And some of you this morning have wrestled with this. You fall into some difficulty. Maybe you've lost your job. Or maybe that, um, and you, you can't trace anything that you've done wrong. Maybe you've gotten sick and God is not healing you. Maybe um, you've experienced a breakdown in a relationship and you just can't explain how it happened. But it went bad and it went bad quickly. And you're going, like, I, I, I can't see how I've done anything wrong here. Well, a trial is something that is morally neutral. You, you can't look back and trace the steps of sin, at least in the immediate. And trials, unlike temptation, are out of our control. We don't choose their start, and we don't choose their end. And that's the tough part. You see, temptation we can run away from. Temptation we can resist and flee. But trial, Christians... We don't get to choose when it arrives and for how long it stays. And so a temptation, we flee. Trial, we have to dignify it and come under the submission of God's sovereignty, which is this. God decides, not us, when the trial starts and when the trial ends. And we have to trust him in terms of how long it's going to take. Now, why is this important why are times of difficulty necessary for the Christian? Well, it is because they show us what we are really like. I'll say it again. Times of difficulty are necessary for the Christian because it's, they show us in these times of difficulties what we are really like. And the hardest thing, the hardest thing for you and me to be objective about is ourselves. See, intrinsically, we don't really understand what we really like and this is why the younger brother took him so long to come to himself he resisted he resisted he resisted and where did he have to land up in the pig before he could actually see this is what i'm really like and this is what distance from my father has cost me but i want to say this morning the older brother we have no guarantee that he came to himself at the end of this passage there is nothing that says And the older brother said, I'm so sorry, Dad, and went into the party. You see, the reason why it's not there is because one of the hardest things for you and me to come to terms with is what we really like. And really, this is the problem of the gospel this morning. If you're here this morning, and and maybe this message is for you, God's got you in a corner. You've got no more moving space to go. You've lost your job. Your marriage is in trouble. You're needing some healing. You're desperate to find God in your life. Some difficulty has brought you to this place this morning. I want to say there is such encouragement for you. You're in the right place. But the problem is when we sing these songs this morning, you may not understand what they mean. Maybe your wife's dragged you here and you're going, you know, this... These, songs, these guys are just weird. They're singing from the front and saying, Jesus loves me, Jesus loves me. And guys are praying. And you just go, this makes no sense to me. What are these words meaning? The problem, the problem is this, is that the gospel, the good news, salvation offered in Jesus will make no sense to you until you know what you are really like. The way the message of forgiveness comes is to the person who realizes they need it. And you see, in order for us to realize that we need Jesus, God has to show us what we are really like. And some of us are extremely stubborn. (laughs) And we have to be backed into a corner before God says, Matt Johnson, this is what you are really like. But you see, it's God's grace at work. Because when you start to see actually that you're not as good as what you thought you were, That actually, just like everybody else, you're a sinner. Those words start to change from being something that you sing to a prayer of rescue. Jesus becomes so meaningful to you because you realize your need for him. But that need only comes about when by the grace of God, he shows us what we really like. And that is why in James chapter 1, verse 3, this is mature stuff this morning. If you want to grow into what Christ has for you, James. Brilliant James, in 1 verse 3, you know the scripture, says our attitude to difficulty must be this. Consider it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. Why? Because they're fun? No. Because they are painful? No, certainly not. Because they are something that you just feel, I'm glorying in the difficulty. No, no. Because of what they achieve, and one of the aspects that difficulty achieves in your life and mine, is that it shows us what we really like. And this is the trouble of the older brother. You see? The older brother's trial was being offended by the generous treatment that the father showed the younger brother. Here you have a guy. He thinks he's pretty good. And he starts to uh, come back from the field where he's been sweating. And... uh, He starts to hear this music, and deep down intrinsically, something snaps in him when he sees how the father treats the younger brother. And so who does the older brother represent in the story? Well, it's somebody who's been in the father's house a long period of time. It represents those who've been a Christian maybe a bit longer than others. And you see, what begins to happen is this, is that when you believe the gospel, this is what we're saying this morning, it's not some cosmetic change that happens on the outside that you just start sounding better or looking better or behaving better. No, no. The gospel is the radical message that if you believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you become a new person. And that incredible power, that resurrection power, that same power that raised Christ from the dead begins to work in your life. And what begins to happen is you begin to change. Praise God for that. Your habits begin to change. Your vocab begins to change. Many of you can remember before you knew Jesus, the words that came out your mouth sounded very different to what they were now. You started serving in church. And essentially, you've developed a bit of a spiritual resume. Oh, in my life, I've fasted maybe half a day. I've maybe seen almost one conversion. (laughs) I've received so many words of Scripture. My net tithe so far is so much. My spiritual gifts list, I've done the course and I know what they are. I've done so many church offices. I've been a deacon. I've done hospitality. I've been a soul group leader. I've done parking. Man, I'm pretty impressive. That's the bottom line. And this is how the oldest son felt. Man, I'm telling you now. This is what, what, how appropriate. I look like I'm in a field. And uh, I'm coming from the field and he's going... Mm, smell, oof, yeah, I smell the sweat, I really do <laughs> And he's going, man, I've done a good day's work this morning. Ah, pretty good sun, eh? Ah, this would have been me if you put me in your shoes. I would, I would have had flashbacks as I'm walking back and everybody's like, yeah, we've just done that field. That's ah, awesome. I'm just so grateful I didn't make that dumb decision that my younger brother did. Look who's uh, in the glory now. This guy, he thinks he's pretty good. <laughs> but how does the trial come? As he's coming and he's glorying in his sweat, the sweat of service, he goes, what is that yonder noise? <laughs> Who is having that celebration? And he calls a servant over. He goes, have I missed something? You know, did the invites go out and I wasn't invited to a party. He says, no, no, no. Older brother, you don't, your, youngest, your younger brother's back. And guess what? Your father's throwing him a party, and we're on our way. We'll see you there. And the brother, he just snaps. I'll get back to the snapping part just now. But I want to say, this is what happens. This offense comes in so many ways. Someone gets a promotion you felt you deserved. Someone else gets recognition for the deal that you closed. Someone gets that awarded prize giving you thought should be yours. Your child gets overlooked in the selection process at school. Someone else's ministry blossoms or is more gifted. Or someone gets that leadership position. A fence comes in a second, church. And you know what happens? Is the Incredible Hulk comes out of us. <laughs> Who's watched the Incredible Hulk? I don't know if you know what I mean. Hey? Mark Ruffalo, yes, come on. Do I have to go into more detail? I do. No, please. (laughs) I might put my neck out. But you see, that's what we like. Oh, we're all so nice and attractive. And uh, if it's Mark Ruffalo, all the ladies think he's so sexy and he's so attractive. But man, just ruffle his feathers a little bit. Start to put the stress on. and (laughs) And that's what we like. Man, when that child of yours pushes that button just one too many times, and tell me, I tell you, children know exactly how to do it. I have seen how masterful I am through the eyes of my little girl, Sarah. She knows, and she sits there with her food at her her eating table, at her little high chair, and she goes, she knows she can't throw it on the floor. And my hand does this. And then she goes, (laughs) Eventually, she throws Sarah, I told you not to do that! And she gets, the Hulk comes out. But now the problem is this. The problem is this. It's tempting to say that it was the stress. It's tempting to say, well, no, no, it's that other person. It's tempting to say it was the stresses in my life. that were just too much for me. And, and I'm really just stepping out of character when the Hulk comes out. My friends, the truth is this. It's just uncovering what's already there. And the greatest proof of this Is Jesus himself. Is there anybody who could have been excused of having an incredible hulk? It was Jesus. Here he is in the Garden of Gethsemane, sweating blood. Do you want to talk about stress? Have any of you ever sweat blood before? Here is a man who is deserted by his friends, put on a mock trial, not once, but a couple of times, falsely accused, and then nailed to a cross naked before his own mother. And did any hulk come out of him? No. Why? because there was no sin you see and the thing about this is it this is it telling you others can see it i guarantee your spouse can your friends can see it god sees it but the hardest thing for you and me is for us to see it and we have to come to ourselves this is the problem church it's just as the younger son had to come to himself, so did the older. And God graciously will not let the streak in him go. Well, what was the sin that the older brother had to see? It was self-righteousness. And I want to say this as a disclaimer this morning, or not even a disclaimer, as a warning. The more success and progress you experience in your Christian walk, the more dangerous self-righteousness becomes say it again. The more success and progress you make in your Christian walk, the more dangerous self-righteousness becomes. Why? Because it becomes harder and harder for you and me to remember just how gracious God had to be to give us salvation in the first place. See, we don't look as bad as what we used to be. Even our mother thinks that we're much better. Even our spouse. But the problem is this. Self-righteousness is so difficult to spot. What do I mean by self-righteousness? And I, I would define it this way: it is when you find your identity, your confidence, and your security in how well you're doing. I say it again: self-righteousness is when you find your identity your confidence, and your security in your relationships around you and with God by how well you're doing. Your performance. And really, self-righteousness, if I had to experience the feeling of it, it is the feeling of entitlement. You see, this is what is exposed in the Older Son, what makes him so angry? He says, look, he says to his father, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. He feels hot done by. He says, but when this son of yours came, he has devoured your property with prostitutes and you killed the fattened calf. You see, ultimately he feels he should have been entitled to that calf because of his performance. Now, this is not easy for us to see. And I want us just to stop for a moment and say, how do we identify this hulk of self-righteousness coming out in us? Because if we can identify it, I want to say to you this morning, church, it will bring the greatest amount of freedom into your life. And the first way it manifests itself in our lives is we start to compare our performance with other people's, no longer with Christ's. The reason why this older brother could say to his father, these many years I have served you, I have never disobeyed your command. Think about that. This isn't Jesus. Jesus is telling the story. This older brother is sinful, just like his younger brother. And he's saying, I've never disobeyed your commands. How could he get to such an inflated view of himself? It's because he was comparing his performance to the younger brother. And the template of his life had become another human being. And I want to say this morning, this might rescue your marriage. The reason why you're so bitter with your spouse and you just get so angry so quickly, it's because in your mind, the argument goes like this. I am doing this and this and this and this. He or she is not doing this and this and this and this. And so ultimately, whenever you compare your performance to another human beings, particularly your spouse, your child, your colleague, well, you always feel justified. Because you can always pick out where you're right and they're wrong. And the problem with this is that self-righteousness becomes a tyrant. And the tyranny is this. Because we set our confidence, our identity, our security in the relationships around us on our performance, we put impossible expectations on ourselves. You just ratchet up where you've got to be hitting in order to feel secure. But the problem is this, is that as we live with this way of relating to other people, of saying, I have to get things right in order for me to be accepted, that way of thinking raises the expectations for our lives, not only on ourselves, but on those around us. And I want to say this morning, if we yield to self-righteousness, it will break our children. Because our manner of relating in our home will be, you must conform. And if you don't conform, I reject you. Because that's the way I believe God deals with me. And so spouses don't feel safe around us. Children don't feel safe. In actual fact, we keep ratcheting up the demands of you must, you will, you have to. And boy, oh boy, there are consequences if we don't, or if they don't. You see, when we make acceptance conditional on performance, if that's how we feel, we get it from other people, we apply the same system to those around us. I want to just take a step back this morning. This is why we become critical and judgmental, because we are so concerned about performance. That's the issue forget about the person is the person performing if they're performing they can get my recognition they can get my acceptance they can get my love if they don't perform well just you wait and we'll push our kids away we'll push our spouses away they just can't cope our friends and ultimately there is no way you can get too close to God that way Friends, I want to ask you the question this morning and myself. When last have we stopped comparing ourselves to those around us and feeling justified in our response? And when have we just stopped and said, how are we comparing to Jesus? That's the issue. Have you ever thought about this in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2? Let us fix our eyes on who? Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. God's saying, buddy, don't hold yourself up as a model against your wife. That's not how you're going to do it. That's not how you're going to come to a right understanding of yourself and hers. What you need to hold yourself up to is Jesus Christ. Are you dealing with her like Jesus deals with you? It's the first sign. Secondly is we become extremely sensitive to criticism. This is you. It's me. I want to explain why. It's because we cannot separate performance From our identity and that means any negative criticism of of our performance is seen as a personal attack you see if you build your entire system your relationships in your life with this understanding that they are accepting me because I'm getting it right When they tell you, you're getting it wrong, you can't cope. Just implode. And this is what happens. The response is this. We get defensive and argumentative because we can't cope. We can't cope with the fact that we might have gotten something wrong because we have to get it right. I have to be right. My entire Emotional stature is built on that. And this is what happens. The oldest son gets angry. And when the father comes, you miss it so quickly, he entreats the older son. He says, he reasons with the older son. He says, oh, my boy, your, your youngest son is back. He's waiting for you. He's feeling so sheepish. He's come back and he doesn't know how you're going to receive him. I've welcomed him. Won't you just please welcome him back? He's feeling so vulnerable right now. The oldest son won't do it. Why? Because he feels right. And the the youngest son is wrong. And he defends it. He he explains everything. He says, look how you've treated me. This is his big problem. It's the next point. He's so full of self-pity. Because self-pity is really believing we're not getting what we deserve. (laughs) He says to the father, these many years I have served. That Greek word can, be, can also be translated, and I think it's fitting in this context, but I don't think the, the translators have the guts to use it. These many years I have slaved for you. That's what he feels. And yet you did not give me a little goat to celebrate with my friends. He's right, because then he points to the younger son. He says, the young, but this son, he won't even call him brother, this son of yours who squandered his property, your property, dad, by the way, with prostitutes. Yet you kill the fattened calf for him. You're wrong. I'm right. The third thing, fourth thing that we, we struggle with is unforgiveness. Why? Because we cannot, we cannot cope with the fact that somebody could be let off the hook. Why? because we never let ourselves off the hook. We fundamentally believe each person must get what they deserve. And so the older brother does something awful. He says, first and foremost, that he's not going to let that sin of the younger brother go. He holds it over the younger brother and he says, that guy, I'm not going into his party. He's going to know that I'm not happy with him. Secondly, what he does is he exposes the younger brother's sin because he can't cope with the fact that the younger brother could possibly get away with it. You know what he says? In verse 13, I think it is here, in the beginning of the younger brother's story, it just says he he lived recklessly. The older brother can't cope with that. I'll tell you what he did when he lived recklessly. He squandered his money with prostitutes. That's what he did. Can't cope. He can't offer forgiveness because fundamentally he believes each person must get what they deserve. And really, I'm running out of time, but this creates a deep insecurity in the older brother. And a sign of insecurity as a Christian is a sign that we have not quite grasped how secure we are in Christ. And the way the older brother's insecurity comes out jealousy he feels threatened by the younger son's return and that the father would slaughter a fattened calf for him for the younger son but for the older son wouldn't do it and lastly there's a real lack of compassion the lack of compassion displays itself in the father saying when he's reasoning with the older son he's saying my boy can you not just celebrate the fact that your younger brother is back? Can you not just come in and say, it's so good to see you. I'm glad you're not dead. Can you not just say to this younger brother, it's okay. Dad's forgiven you. I've forgiven you. But you see, this is what the way the older brother thinks, and I'm telling you, it betrays something in you and me, Will you be open to me saying this? Is that the older brother had no compassion in his life. And friends, we are at risk as being privileged South Africans when we leave these doors to look through society with the eyes of self-righteousness, which says, man, everybody gets what they deserve. That person who's destitute, they put themselves there. That person who's got a broken marriage, it was their fault. Because fundamentally, we believe that life is the consequence of our actions. And therefore, we get what we deserve. When, it's, when we are doing things right, good comes to me. When things are going wrong, tough luck. There is no compassion. No compassion. So what is the remedy? If you're like me you can see it's coming out, self-righteousness in all these areas of your life. But the remedy is this, and this is what I want you to go away with this morning, is the father says this to the older son. He says, boy, son, you are always with me and all that I have or all that is mine is yours. The father flips it, and this is it. You know, here is the older brother. He's going, I can't believe you slaughtered that fattened car for my my younger brother. I can't believe, but you never gave me a goat. The father goes, let's just stop for a moment, your boy. Look at the cattle outside. Look at the house you're under. Look at the clothes on your back. They all belong to you. Look at what you've received by being my son. Look at what you've received by being faithful and staying within my household. You're worried about losing a fattened calf when you have received so much from me. And friends, this is the picture of the gospel we have to grasp, is that God never asks us to give what he has not given already generously. Jesus says the most astounding phrase. The more you meditate on it, the more it will change your life. It says, freely you have received. Now freely give. You see, that's what we like. When we started zoning on all these, I I deserve this, I didn't deserve this, this person did this, this, we started zoning to the second part who's done the most giving? Who's right? Jesus is saying that's not where you start. As, As a Christian, you start by saying, look at how much I've received. That's the irony. And so I'm running out of time. But let's apply this concept to each of these these warning signs of self-righteousness. What about unforgiveness? You just can't let your spouse go. You can't let that family member go. You can't put that colleague who stabbed you in the back go. You can't ever let that person know that they are off the hook. Flip it. Forget about the fattened calf. Think about what you receive as a son and daughter of the living God. You can't forgive a moment. God's forgiven your lifetime. In Jesus, when you start to see how much you have received, when this moment comes where you have to forgive a person for a conversation or a season or a chatter of your life, you can willingly let it go because God's forgiven the book of yours. Grace flows when you focus on what you've received. Self-righteousness breeds its ugly head when you focus on how much you're giving. I want to say to you this morning, self-pity, you want to beat your spouse with a stick of self-pity that you feel, I'm so grateful Jesus didn't beat me with his. Here is a guy who rises to the occasion of need when he didn't deserve a stitch of it. There he is in the garden of Gethsemane, sweating blood for the guys that are going to forsake him. There he is on the cross naked before his mother so that we don't have to experience that shame for ourselves. He's exposed to the world so that our sins may be covered and kept silent. Friends, when you start to see what you have as a Christian, and this is my appeal, I'm not asking you to come and be a good churchgoer. God's Word's not saying come in and be a better person. No, you're going to be changed by receiving life-giving power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's not a little bits; It's not a little garden hose but you're trying to water your field. And you're going, It is a fire hose of power. It is a fire hose of grace to you. You are a son and daughter of the living God by sheer faith in the death of Jesus Christ. That is the dignity you have when God asks you to give. You say, How much, Lord? Because you've given me so much. And grace grips you. It must. For if it doesn't, you're in trouble. So the gospel is not this once off event where you look from the distance and you say, That was nice. We have to be washed in it daily. Where the Father has to remind us, we remind ourselves freely we have received, oh God, freely given. You know what will happen? You know what will happen? Instead of life being an agony for you, it will become a joy. Because you're no longer on this title of, I'm in the love of God, I'm out. I'm in the love of God, I'm out. I've got to try and somehow maintain the security in my life. And so therefore, I'm grumpy because God's grumpy with me. When I do something wrong, So everybody else has be grumpy around me because I'm grumpy. No, no. What starts to happen is as a Christian, the more you lean into what you have received, man, the more freedom you receive to live. And you begin to enter into what Jesus calls the abundant life. When someone wants to come and bring criticism to you, you're not falling to pieces because you're not building your life on what they think about you. You know what God thinks. Forgiven. Accepted. I belong. And so you can separate yourself from the pain and the hurts and the reality of who you are because you know what you are in Christ. You know what you've received. That's the position of Power. Let's pray. Lord, these moments are too few for us. We just get to stop and marvel at what we have received in you, Jesus. We are not beggars. We are not servants. We have the dignity, the provision and the protection of our Father in heaven. And Lord, I ask this morning for this healing balm of grace to come afresh into our hearts That the Lord would deliver us from self-righteousness. That we might enter into the fullness Jesus and dignify the blood shed on the cross and the body broken. So that freely we have received and so freely we give. I pray for marriages here this morning. I pray for father-son, father-daughter, mother-son, mother-daughter relationships. I pray for friendships. I pray for colleagues. May the grace of God, O oh Lord, bring back compassion, humility, forgiveness, acceptance, belonging. And I ask, Father, as we have just scratched the surface this morning of ourselves, Lord, would you keep us close to Jesus? Would you help us to know how much you receive from him? May we revel in the Lord, in his goodness towards us, his faithfulness, his kindness, his forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen.